Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast, a podcast that is designed to talk about the job. I'm the luckiest guy alive. I get to interview the coolest people out there in the American Fire Service and talk about the job. Everything from guys riding backwards, officers, chiefs, up through companies, people, manufacturers, products, organizations, you name it. We're trying to capture the stories to promote the job and make the job better. So if you're returning and you're a regular listener, thank you. If you're new to the podcast, check it out and let us know what you think. Podcast at nationalfireradio.com is where you can find us. Send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show, people that you think might be a good guest, or anything else that you want to talk about. Send it over to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And what we get to do is bring forth the word about the job. But in order to do that, we need the help of some sponsors. So do me a favor, hang tight, and listen to the words from a few of our sponsors. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at boxalarmgrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his team have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 shields in the market. Taylor's Tins is a leader in the American Fire Service helmet front space. Not only do they manufacture helmet fronts, but they do so much more. Locker tags, key chains, CO monitor charts, medical kit charts, pump charts, banquet awards, you name it, they do it. Go over to taylorstins.com and check out what they can offer you today. They've become a longtime sponsor and good friend of the National Fire Radio podcast. And because of that, they offer a promo code at checkout. So when you go to taylorstins.com, Enter NFR sent me. That is NFR sent me, and you'll get 15% off your checked out order. It works on all stock items from taylorstins.com, including quick tins, license plates, locker tags, and much, much more. Exclusions do apply. This is a company that prides themselves on quality and customer service. From the inception, from your design to out the door, it's within 48 hours. Nobody else is doing that. They can't do that. 48 hours to get your shield out the door to you to put it on your helmet and get to the next job. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com. Again, that's taylorstins.com. Check out their latest offerings and use promo code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for 15% off on your checkout. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is a first for me, man. 200 episodes of this podcast. 
And today I have the absolute honor to speak with a man, not only from a different time zone, but a different continent, Jared Mann. Thanks for joining me, brother. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I'm really excited to be here and to be the first episode of International Fire Radio. International Fire Radio, brother. Here we are. It's a thing. It's now official. So I will. I'll st let's start off with a quick intro, uh, but we're really going to learn about you and Australia uh, and, and the fire service there through the conversation today. So let's do this. Uh, you're an 11-year career fireman. You were in the volunteers for three years prior to that. Australia is all state-based fire service, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, right now, your title is a leading firefighter uh, with the Fire Rescue Victoria. And Victoria is one of the states within Australia. Yep, that is correct. You nailed everything. Bang. I rehearsed that, Bang. everyone, for quite a long time. Um, so you are down under. I'm up over, as you put it. And, uh, man, I'm excited to talk about this. We have some mutual friends. That's how we got put together. Um, and then you reminded me of something from very early on in National Fire Radio where five years ago we were trying to connect with people and we said, hey, send us something and we'll send you something, right? And it was uh, done through social media, the power of social media. And we said, hey, send us a sticker, a challenge coin and a T-shirt or something like that. And we'd love to send you something in return and i didn't know that until right this very moment that you had sent a t-shirt uh and so on and so thank you brother that's freaking cool man so you've been with us since the beginning yeah i've been with you since the beginning I've, we jumped on early loved what you did everything from apparatus innovations through to uh covering podcasts with really interesting people it's been brilliant i, think I love it man I, we have when i go through the the metrics of the of the podcast and even on social media, we can see where people are, are tuning in from, right? So we can see what type of downloads and how many downloads are happening in different continents, different countries and all that. And there's always been, um, from very early on, Australia, there was always a uh, contingent of metrics that came out of there. So it was probably just you, and I appreciate that, truly. Probably our only fan there. But, um, brother, I just, I love it, man, because it it just goes to show that you're in love with the job. I mean, you're seeking it out. I know that outside of being a fireman in Australia, you travel to the States. You've been a part of different training conferences, symposiums. You've spoken with some of the biggest names in the fire service. I know that you uh, you talk uh, in regards to high-rise firefighting, which is a passion of yours, uh, which has put you on a, a, a collision course with great influencers throughout the fire service. Um, and you've been able to really make a lot of good friendships and relationships here in the States. Um, let me, maybe we'll start there. What's the cult? Is there a culture difference in the United States versus Australia when it comes to the love of the job? Is, is the job in Australia a lot of what it's like here in the States where there's a lot of people that really are dialed in and trying to push it forward? Yeah. Like I, I guess any fast, look, I've traveled the States. I've traveled a little bit of Europe, mainly UK and a bit around Australia. And one thing I've noticed is all fire services have their owners, renters and squatters. Yeah. Oh, I love that. People that own it and uh, really get into the job, really make it, really try and push the ball forward. Renters, you know, they're there to do the work and they will pay a bit, but they're not as invested as say the owners are. And then you've got your handful of squatters that, you just don't want there. 
but I, I think that's around around the world. I have Every... never I've never heard it put that way, and I absolutely love that man. Owners, renters, and squatters. I wrote that down. That's actually going to be the title of this. Uh, unless you hit me with another one liner, we're two minutes in, and you've already crushed it, brother. That's it. Yeah. Show's over. You gave me the title already. So that's cool. So with that, then you have um, being a firefighter where you are, right? You're in an urban setting, right? So you found your way to an urban setting. Um, I thought it was very interesting. Maybe you can kind of break it down for us a little bit, just how that looks, how it's state run fire service. And then you have volunteers that are on the outskirts of the city, basically. And then you have uh, a career staff that is in the urban center, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. So uh, most states in Australia have at least two fire services and they're state run, state controlled, and they have their own state legislation. So they have their own state powers, et cetera. And they're usually broken up into a volunteer service, which looks after the rural and regional areas and a career slash paid on call service that works in the capital city, major cities and large regional centres. And they work together on the fringes. And anytime we have big, bad wildfires, they always come together and work together. Um, And it's vital that they have a bit of synergy between the two organizations uh the funding comes from the state for both which is great because it means that everyone's got a fire truck it should be kind of new everyone gets fitted out with the same equipment so that there's no problems with oh we can't pump to that person because we don't have the adapters or matching Mm -hmm. pieces so it all comes down to to being able to work together but have your own separate identities yeah which, yeah. it, but it brings very different disciplines, right? Because, you know, Australia, just like the States, the urban center is vertical. Everything's going yeah. upward, right? And so um, I have to think that, you know, looking at pictures of some major met- metropolitan cities in Australia, there's no differences from the urban centers that we have here in the States. Yeah, oh, none at all. Um, oh, the only major urban difference is, I guess, that we're relatively new to the high-rise problem. Okay. So we didn't really start building them till like the 60s, 70s, where you guys have been building them for over 100 years. Yeah. Because um, we've always had the land to expand outwards. Right. So we've always expanded out. Now that land's starting to get a bit expensive and travel times to the city is starting to get pretty blown out, we're starting to see that that reurbanization and that move up. So if you look at a picture of the city I work in, Melbourne, 20 years ago versus today, you see numerous like the skyline's tenfold yeah what it was years ago yeah Uh, well you're you're seeing that here now too you know the new york city skyline i can see every day from where i live manhattan i can see manhattan every single day from where i live and i'd say in the last five years that skyline has changed dramatically dramatically and and manhattan's moving into the ultra high yeah they're moving into and we're starting to move there too like we've got buildings that are around a thousand feet all in Melbourne, and um, they're so complex. They're, they're just big machines. So get big machines. That's a good way to put it, right? Absolutely. So give me the breakdown then. How did you how did you become interested in going vertical? How did you how did you come to realize that the the high rise aspect of the job because of the the growth is it is that you were saw like hey we need to do better at this or we need to address this or Where'd that come from? 
So I've always loved the job. I've always been really into the job. Like this is what I've wanted to do since I can remember. I grew up behind a firehouse. My dad was a volley. I love it. And, and then, yeah, so my whole life I've wanted to do this. I've, you know, like as, as people do, you stray a little bit, you go do some other things. I read Engine Company 82 and when I was a teenager and I was like, bang, that's me, done. <laughs> now. Um, and so when I got in the job, I, out of recruits, we got to choose, like, not choose, but we got to put down a preference list of where we wanted to go. Yeah. And my preference list was based upon not my proximity to the station from home. It was like, who does the most calls? Who does the most calls? I'm doing them. So I went there and then I stayed there for four years and then I moved to... And you said that was a busy stint, no? You said that you were going to, you're going to fires almost every tour? Uh, so that was Ballarat. So it was a city of 100,000 people and it was pretty busy. It was busy yeah. for us, but not fires every, like every tour. The next station I went to was fires every tour and it was like a outer suburb of Melbourne, like really outer suburb. They right. were still controlled by that combination department that I work for. And um, yeah, we were going to fires every tour. It might not have been a structure fire. It might have been car fire. It might have been sure. a big pile of rubbish, but it was fires every tour. And I was loving it, running and gunning. And then uh, opportunity came up to move into the city and to change brigades at the time to the career service that was working in the city. So I took that opportunity. And my first shift with them, we were sitting down to lunch. We got toned out to an apartment fire in the middle of the city. We pull up and I see this smoke just pumping out of this fifth story apartment of a 10 story building. And I was like, oh, I am out of my depth. Yeah, now what? What do we do, right? Uh, we <laughs> like, what go, do we do? We gotta go up there. I'm not taking, sorry? We gotta go up there. Yeah, I'm not taking the cross lay off the truck. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> how do I get water? Right. What's this hydrant system you Right, right, about? right. So um, from then, like, I fell in love with the complexities of the problem. Yeah. Like, I've always seen firefighting as a challenge. And one of the things that excites me about it is no job's the same. And uh, there's always different challenges to different fires we go to. And the thing that brings me, one of the things that brings me joy out of this job is is solving those problems, solving those challenges, and thinking about them dynamically more than just you know, we do step one, two, three, four at every fire. No, what's this fire doing? What is the fire dynamics? What's the extinguishment method we need? How am I going to use my water? Have you always uh, been that way? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, at just recruits, in, just got... in general, like when you approach something in life, is that how your brain works? You like to break it down, analyze it, figure it out, not just how to do it, but the theory behind it and why it's happening and how we combat that? Yeah, that's... Yeah. I'm the yeah, same. I'm, I'm very much the same way. And, and as I've gotten older and have matured more, especially in the fire service, I am asking a lot more questions and wanting to know a lot more behind why we do what we do. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's one of the best things about this job is that you never stop learning and you can't yeah. stop learning. Like, um, as you said, like I'm pretty into teaching it and stuff. So you've got to know what you're talking about. You can't just sit up there and go, the old backdraft, Ronald, you know, oh, it's moving up here because of the theory of flammable liquids. Yeah. Like we've got to understand what what's happening in that fire. And the best part is you watch a lot of scientists who talk about fire, talk about fire and what's going on. 
And what really surprises me is most of them go, we don't really know much about fire yet. <laughs> like we think we know a lot, but yeah. Technically yeah. we don't. Yeah, but anyway, back to back to the the interest in horror. So yeah, the, these challenges, like pulling up at a building and going, cool, there's a fire on the 10th floor. I don't even know how to get there, let alone what the hydrant system looks like, how to evacuate this building, stairwells, all that kind of stuff. So the challenges that come from this is just phenomenal. And and not to take away from the challenges that come from a residential fire or a factory fire or something like that, there's challenges to them too. I just enjoy the complexities of the vertical environment and the fact that it takes me longer, usually takes me longer to get from the lobby to the fire floor than it does from my firehouse to the building. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's a really interesting way of putting it. And I wrote I actually wrote it down. You said you you have fallen in love with the complexity of the fire. And I yeah. think that that's a, a poetic way of stating really who you are in a way, because it it speaks to it speaks to your abilities and want and need and desire to learn and to do better, right? The complexity of the fire. I mean, that's that's a really eloquent way of stating that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So yeah, like that that and and the tactics and strategy should be formed by the fire we're fighting, not by the this is the way we've always done or sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no, but with that, then, is there a culture that believes in that? Are you the norm? <laughs> it's hard, uh, right? It's we're building place. with. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. My point yeah. is, we deal with it here, too, right? Is that we yeah. do have that conflict between this is how we've always done it, but this is what technology, science, and education and training is telling us. But we're here, and sometimes. We hit the wall, right? And so 100%. I guess my question is without putting you on the spot, but there tends to be a culture that kind of holds us back on the traditional end and not progressing forward. But I think for you being able to travel and talk about this and educate yourself, I'm sure you're making an impact and difference. Well, we're building we're building the culture. We're building that change, right? And and we're having a cultural shift. And you talk about this all the time on the show, right? You're that yeah. connecting generation between you know, the older generation and the younger yeah. generation. And mm -hmm. we're going through, like, like everywhere in the world, apparently everyone had a hiring ban in the recession in the 90s, so everyone's a bit short on staff. So we're going through this massive recruitment drive. So nearly 50% of the job has done less than 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. So we've lost a lot of that experience. And, yeah. And when you break down a firefighter, let's talk in triangles, because we have to talk in triangles. That's all we know. Do it. If you break down a firefighter and you go, here's the ideal firefighter, they'll have one line that'll be experience, one line that'll be theoretical knowledge, and the other line being being practical training or practical skill. And when you reduce one of those lines, you need to increase the other two. Right. Keep that same surface area, right? And increase them exponentially. Like if I reduce the experience line, the other two lines have to really stretch out. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're taking that kind of, theory and putting it into our training culture so we're now starting to establish more training culture more in-service training for for crews um developing new materials and methods of training so we've got the youtube generation coming on the job now right yeah so videos why aren't we doing training videos and like so we've looked at departments like la county and seen how they're delivering their training videos and going cool what can we take from that yeah how can we manipulate our practices 
So it's easily accessible. And as I said, we're a state-based service, yeah? So our most isolated career station is five hours from any other career station. Wow. So how do I get training to them? Right. You know, and, and the same level of training because they need the same level of training because sure. the expectation of that firefighter is the same as the firefighter in the CBD. Yeah. Central so, Business District. Central Business, sorry, the city. Got yeah. I got <laughs> you, brother. Don't you worry. <laughs> that, listen, that's that's an easy one. I got that. That's a layup. Yeah, that's, that's the really language is, is interesting because like when I was in the UK, I was there with a lot of states, firefighters. And then we had some British and some Irish firefighters yeah. and some guys from Italy and Germany and all that. And I'd be talking and the English people knew what I was saying. The Irish people knew what I was saying and no one else knew what I was saying. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, this is, this is super fun, right? Because I think like what you just said, all those nationalities come together for a symposium or a training event, right? To share knowledge and experience and coming from different cultures and backgrounds and cities and states and countries there's so much information to be shared and we all share one common thread and it's just being firefighters it's being brothers and sisters like and that i think cuts through all the nonsense right so regardless of the term terminology you're using it still makes sense and it's relatable once i figure out what the frig you're saying right 100 percent. like yeah i remember sitting there one night in a cigar bar in london and we're talking firefighting and it was just interesting the different definitions that people oh, have. Sure. Like, like what a backdraft is. Like what define yeah. a backdraft and they'll define something and I define something and it's a little different. But then when you start to go, okay, you have a fire doing this thing, what do you do? The techniques kind of turn out the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think English. yeah, I, I learned I learned early on with the podcast that communication uh and terminology is huge because it is a lot of the definitions are the same, but how we get there might be very different. Um, and I think like that translates to the fire ground. You might call it one thing or what an actual definition of a backdraft is for you might vary from us. But overall, there's an underlying theme that's the same, right? And it's yeah. just how we get there. Um, I love that. And I think that goes, just to bring it right back around to the conversation, I loved the fact that you guys recognize the need to address your training culture and how do we deliver the message today? And if you have a career station five hours away from the next career station to dedicate somebody to go there to teach and train where you could deliver it simultaneously across the board to all stations and all, like, I think there's tremendous value in that. And I don't think we're doing enough of that here in promoting and using technology of today to deliver the message. And like, the, 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 there's so many more new technologies coming out. Like, yeah. um, Lancashire, I'm going to butcher this, Lancashire Fire Rescue in the UK, for example. Okay. They've started to jump in to virtual reality training. And I'm not talking the virtual reality training with the hose and the nozzle. Yeah, that, the, yeah the goggles and that hose and they're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. Like, I mean, I'm sure that's going to come in one day, but right now I'm... I don't know. I'm a traditionalist. Let me let me go do some class A's. But yeah, um, they've got they've got the goggles, right? So every station's got a set, and they might go, okay, today we're running a class on X, and now they put the virtual reality goggles on, and you're not watching a PowerPoint. You're walking through like a scenario or a situation, and you're able to see different things and aspects. Yeah. So the classroom then becomes a virtual environment. Yeah. And they're finding that more firefighters are 
not nodding off in the back row to your PowerPoint. You're not death by PowerPoint. They're actually immersed in the environment, immersed in the training and getting so much more out of it. Now, again, they're not delivering practical skills with this training, but they're delivering theoretical knowledge. But Yeah, absolutely. And it's so cool. Like, like I thing- haven't put, I, uh, Jared, I haven't really put much thought to that, right? But, you know, people push back right away. As soon as they hear something like that, they push back right away. And they're like, there's nothing can replace hands-on training. We need experience. We need, you know, reality-based training, this and that. You know what would be really cool? To put on a set of virtual reality goggles and watch a flashover from the point of a flashover in the room so that you're there to really understand and witness what the conditions are. And then take it a step further. When we go blacked out, we have rollover over us and we can't see it, but there's ways to sense it and feel it and things to listen for, right? It's virtual reality. We can we can put together training-based programs of theory, right? that really can immerse you into understanding the other aspects of the job. Maybe you can't learn or physically learn how to force a door or cut a roof, but maybe we could teach you pump theory. Maybe we could teach you how to run, you know, an engine company pump, right? And that's your introduction to it before we get on the training ground. I think there's tremendous value in programs like that, but we have to be careful, right? And I'd love to hear your feeling on it, but we have to be very careful that it doesn't replace what we know to be, you know, uh, the right way to do it, I think. 100%. We use it for enhancement and supplementation. Yeah, I like you that. You need hands-on training. But the one thing that I picked up from virtual reality, so I went out to our aviation rescue firefighting agency. So in Australia, there is like one sole agency that does airports for us. Right. And and they're using it in their command and control training. That's cool. And the way they, they put it to us was we're developing recognition prime decision-making for our people. Mm. So they've got the goggles on. They're seeing something. They can hear things. Everything is starting to like immerse them in the environment so that they have a pseudo experience of something that they might turn up to. So we're starting to see battery fires in Australia now, you know? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. sure. And aviation firefighting rescue are starting to see them too because we've got uh, EV uh, airport tugs and EV vehicles at the airport and stuff like that. But not everyone's been to one yet. So they're using this wow. virtual reality training to, to get them in that environment to see it. And then they're going outside and doing practical skills training with hands-on stuff, blowing water, doing that stuff. So they couple it together to give a more immersive training environment and a more immersive delivery of knowledge before going and doing the practical skill behind that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a good balance there, man, because I listen, death by PowerPoint, it, it kills us all, right? And so 100%. many of the instructors are not dynamic enough with a PowerPoint. I mean, you listen, I've been to I've been to training conferences and you know as well as I do. Some people are super dynamic, their slides are good, they're realistic, but the presenter can present the information and the slides are there to supplement his conversation. We don't have that many dynamic you know, people putting out training, especially when it's mundane stuff that's being released every single day, right? I mean, you, you, could, you can only be so passionate about teaching you know, a certain aspect of the job day in and day out in the training division, right? I mean, it becomes super mundane. 
So yeah. finding alternative ways to deliver that, I think, is is really a win. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, yeah, you do get mundane, and you get expectation creep as well. Yeah, because you know how you, you see a class, you get them to the end of their class, and they're here. Yep. So then the next class comes in, and they're starting here, but in your head, they should be here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. So let me ask you this then. I mean, so you. I guess with your the way your mind works, we talked about it before, how it's analytical, trying to figure out theory versus practical and, and all of that. Is that what led you down the path after you looked up five stories, saw smoke pumping off the balcony of a, of a high rise, said, man, I want to educate myself better on firefighting in a vertical application, you know, vertical setting. Is that what kind of set you on the path of training and education? Because I know that's a passion of yours, no? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't, like, I'm into training, right? I, I really am into training and I'm into good training and delivering training to, to our people. But I didn't join this job to become an instructor. It's just something I kind of fell into, right? Like, yeah, I get at it. the moment, I'm back on station um, in Melbourne because I joined this job to catch the truck going runs with the boys and girls and live that station lifestyle, like, that's a big part of this job yeah, for me. Like, sure. That, that station culture. But early on, like, I remember I went to recruits and we got taught um, structural firefighting by our structural instructor. And he was trained in compartment fire behavior training, which is that gas cooling pulse method of, of firefighting. And we right. do that down here in Australia. That, that's part of our curriculum. We're a Euro-based fire service. We're still part of the British Commonwealth, so you know he's our king too. Yeah. To so there's a very strong British influence still, right? In in yeah. uh, Australia, okay. Mm -hmm. In the fire service, definitely. Um, yeah. We're we're heavily based on their systems, but yeah. So I was at recruits, and we were doing this training, and um, the first thing they did was destroy, what well, like destroy my thought of what fire was. Like I thought it was this beast that we had to fight. You know, I didn't think that. That it was just a chemical reaction that right. kind of solve, and that was directly after they told me we don't try and break many things here. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so here I am going, oh, I get to break doors, smash windows, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. fight the beast, and then yeah, they we don't really we don't really do that that much here. Yeah, we're going to try and respectfully enter, solve the problem, and leave. And like I was a bit devastated, but then we got out there in the practical training environment. And I, could, I saw what having a good knowledge of fire dynamics led to. You know, like I saw this. Oh, okay, we use this because people hand you a fog a fog nozzle, right, or a combination right. nozzle, whatever mm -hmm. you call them. And you've got this branch that can go from like one twenty degree angle down to zero. Right. But how often does the instructor go? Okay, you want to use this setting for this. You want to use this setting for this. Like if, if you were meant to use them on a 30 degree cone, why wouldn't it just come out as a 30 degree cone? Or if you're meant to use them just on a straight stream, why wouldn't it come out in a smoothbore? So there's got to be an application method to it. Like Lloyd Laidman, little drops of water style stuff. There you go. Yeah, but so so that that really sparked my interest in the fire dynamics side of the job and firefighting side. So I started reading books and just trying things when I was at fires, which probably isn't the best way of doing it, but... No, but I that's how really you put. That's how you take, or that's how you take theory and education and put it to the streets, right? You add practicality to it to see if what you're reading and educating yourself on actually works in practical application. 
Yeah, hundred percent. So like we were going down that path of just learning and like reading and then started talking to people and getting involved in social media, which is a great way of meeting people and talking yeah. to people. I just cold email authors and be like, Hey man, I just read your book and I've got questions and then just start firing back and forth with them. And then, um, yeah, so when I jumped across, got in the high-rise environment, I also had the opportunity to move into the structural firefighting department. And that was at about eight years in. Okay. So I took that opportunity to become an instructor. And since then, I've been popping in and out like a honeymooner of that department, station life. And I spent a small amount of time. So one thing I haven't said, my organization's very new. Like, So Fire Rescue Victoria started on July the 1st, 2020. What? Wow. So remember, remember I said we had a combination department yeah. and a career department? Yeah. So in July 1st, 2020, they're like, for ease of everything, we're going to take the career firefighters out of the combination department and connect them to the metropolitan department or the, the career department and just have two services, one career, one volunteer. Wow. So when we joined, we had to write policy and procedure. So this is this has still got the new car smell then, right? Hundred percent. And like, it, it, don't get me wrong, it, it's not without its challenges, and it's not oh, without. It's, its I'm, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's got plenty of challenges, <laughs> man. Are you kidding me? Holy yeah, but we've, crap! We've been able to build a fire service from the ground up, and like part of my journey has been involved in like I, I went to the uh, planning, policy, and operational guidance directorate, and helped. Help worked as a team to author new standard operating procedures for, for the whole job because the met the career department was doing this and the combination department was doing this and that's not right because we're one organization we should be we doing this you got to bring it together yeah so i got involved in that and that led me to, to just cold emailing again other people like um a good mentor of mine jerry tracy you know yeah. mm -hmm. email jerry bang getting emails fired back from from Jerry Tracy and we're just talking about high-rise firefighting and another mate in Dublin, John Chubb. And so that kind of got me into that. Um, wow. So hold, can we talk about this for a minute? So I'm, I'm yeah, intrigued now, right? Because yeah. you're at an incredible, you have an incredible opportunity in front of you over the last few years to be an instrumental part of creating the foundation for which hundreds of years to come is built upon the hard work of that's going into it today, right? 100%. That's, that is really unique and interesting because a lot of people would never have an opportunity like that in their career to be at the ground floor level. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Anderson Rescue Solutions was founded in 2016 by former Philadelphia firefighter Tim Anderson. As an urban firefighter and rescue specialist, Tim found that the equipment available to him lacked the usability and practicality in complex, high-stress environments that rescuers often found themselves in. To combat this, he developed products based on his own experiences in the field, creating innovative, efficient gear designed to thrive in reality. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap is a perfect example of one of these products. Made in America, this patented tool is used for rapidly harnessing firefighters or civilians in the worst conditions. Every feature 
is fine-tuned to meet the needs of rescuers battling low visibility, low dexterity, and high stress. The multi-loop rescue strap has been used in numerous real-world rescues for both firefighters and civilians all across the country, and it is being increasingly adopted by fire, rescue, and tactical agencies as standard issue equipment. I carry one. I have carried one for many years. It is the most versatile strap out there. Check it out. The multi-loop rescue strap by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Tim Anderson, the owner and proprietor of Anderson Rescue Solutions, has become a dear friend. In fact, he's even been on the podcast several episodes ago. Dropped incredible information. He's super passionate about the fire service, about special operations, and he has built an incredible company, an incredible product. So because of our great relationship with Tim and Anderson Rescue Solutions, if you go to andersonrescue.com, you'll get 10% off if you use the promo code NFR2023. That's NFR2023 at checkout on andersonrescue.com. You'll get 10% off your order. And do me a favor, go over to their social media and check out Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for weekly news, product info, and other content in regards to Anderson Rescue Solutions. This episode's brought to you by Flame Decon. Developed specifically for firefighter decon, Flame shampoo, body wash, and soaps reduce your risk of getting occupational cancer. Live fire testing shows that carcinogens on your skin after a fire are removed and undetectable after using Flame. Flame Decon has made a product that not only does its job and does it well, but that you'll enjoy using. They smell amazing. They make your skin and hair feel great. I will be an absolute witness to that. I have used the product. Tara and I have known each other for quite some time. She has sent us product. We have used it, and it does take that smell of soot and smoke off of you immediately following a shower. It makes a difference. You can find Flame Decon products at flamedecon.com and use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. That's promo code NFR for 15% off your first order at flamedecon.com. And for departments that are interested in departmental orders, more than one or two pieces of product, you can reach out to Tara directly at Tara at flamedecon.com. She's happy to entertain any inquiries that you have. And this made me think departments need to protect their own and protecting our own is also after the fire. Chiefs, purchasing managers, look into Flame Decon as a way of protecting our firefighters in and out of the fire. So check out Flame Decon at flamedecon.com. Use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. It's pretty wild, bro, if you think about it, right? I mean, you ever sit back and and think about, like, writing policy and procedure and being able to influence the trajectory of a new department? That's pretty cool. I probably haven't ever thought about it that way till you just said that then. (laughs) Me me and the team, like, so so, uh, I've got a lot of passionate friends in the fire service. Passion attracts passion. How good? You're not hanging out with mutts. I know that. Yeah. So, like, everyone I hang out with at work, man, that, like, I work with some of the best guys and girls I've ever met in the industry. Really passionate. Yeah. And they really care about, about our job. Um, and together we, we we work on these problems, but I think we're too problem focused. We're not really set, like we're like okay, cool. 
that solves this one. Move it to the side. What's the next? <laughs> we just keep going through the list. We probably do need to take more tact and 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 sit there and go, wow, what an opportunity we have to to do this. I think we're too much of a doer, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I I like what you said though, and I wrote it down. I just put problem focused and I circled it because I think you have the absolutely right mentality with that. If you're problem focused, that means you're trying to fix the problem so you can move on. But yeah. you can't fix every problem. So you have to address every problem, right? There's a difference there. I think that's I think that's cool. I think it's smart, yeah, man. You gotta be solutions focused. So like yes. take the high rise issue, for example. We have to write a high rise document for the entire state. Now in Melbourne, we're pretty dense. Like I'm not going to say we rival New York in density, but like in a fire brigade, but I can drop 300 firefighters into the city in yeah. 20 minutes, right? right? Like if the fire doesn't go out, everyone just take off your mask, start talking, suck the air out. Yeah, man, we got it. Uh, yeah, we can kill it with numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the city I live in, which is an hour away from Melbourne, is a city of 250,000 people. And it could probably get 28 firefighters into its city or its central business district in half an hour wow so big difference writing policy for hey we've got so many resources how lucky are we to hey we've got nobody come in right. like after that half hour the next truck's another half hour away john so wayne time in in the world yeah. of backdraft right yep so you have to go cool we're we're um we're writing this policy. We you can't go. Oh, this is for Melbourne and this is for the region. No, you got to go. This is for the organisation. So you have to go. What can like, like? So we didn't write it for Melbourne. We wrote it for Geelong, the yep. other city. And we right. went. If Geelong can do it, Melbourne can do it. Sure. That, so that makes we, sense, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a smart way to address that, right? Because let's build upon reality-based scenario, not inflated. You know, I think too often in training, we put, you know, if you're typically riding a two or three man engine company, and then it's a training evolution, and we put four or five guys on that engine to make the stretch easier, but it's not reality based, right? Like, I think that that's a super smart way of approaching that and breaking it down and saying, we need to work to our, we need to work to the, to the weakest, minimum. Yeah, the minimum, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, work yeah. to the minimum and, and like give our our officers and our decision makers or incident controllers powers to be able to make a call. So again, Geelong, you might be turning up to a 15-story residential building high rise and that fire might be getting away on you. You have to give them in the documentation the ability or, or the questioning to go, I don't have the resources to fight this. Yeah. I need to evacuate. How do I have that decision-making tool to go, okay, cool, guys, I want you to contain that fire as best you can, but we are getting everybody out of this building until the cavalry arrives. It's an interesting, it's, it's certainly an interesting point of view, right? I mean, to be able to have, that's a very unique conversation, at least in my world of the American Fire Service, at least the corner that I come from, is I can throw all the resources in the world at it. If I got to go to 100 alarms, I can go to 100 alarms, right? I mean, they just keep coming, right? 
That's wild. That's absolutely yeah. wild. So that's so. Is there a lot of trial and error in this process? Then, I mean, are you, you know, you guys do you do you go back and review new guidelines policies to see if you know in, in the practical sense, yes, this does, you know, this is feasible, or you know, we're reaching we're reaching here and we need to scale it back. Like, how's that look? A lot of it comes into the. We have a pretty comprehensive process and with many layers of engagement. So first of all, we look we looked at what each service used to do in, in their old doctrine. And we right. pull out we pull out that. Oh hang on, I'll take it back and I'll actually go through the whole process. So first of all, we did we develop a need for writing policy. Here's a problem. We need to solve this problem. And then we go look at how the former agency solved that problem. Once we have that documentation, we can develop a gaps analysis. So what gaps do we have in these old agencies procedures, whether they be the problem solution, the resourcing, whatever it is, and the problem itself. So how do we address that? Let's look external. Let's look at what the other states in Australia are doing. Let's look at what big departments or comparable department, uh, departments around the world are doing. Yeah. And we'll gather all this information. And then we'll sort through it and sift through it and go, cool, can we apply that one particular thing to our context? So in Australia, we don't have traditional American truck companies. We run our engines more as squads. Right. So if you've got something that's truck company focused, we're probably not going to take that, but could we take bits of it and implement it into our squad kind of arrangement? Mm -hmm. So then you start to write policy and you might write your first draft and you know that only 10% of that's going to get through, but you've written something <laughs> on paper. Yeah, right. And then, and then you start handing it around. You go, you go to stations, you go to, to busy stations that have that problem in their area and go, hey guys, what do you think of this? Oh, that's going to work. That's not going to work. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> and keep going through it, picking through. Like, I mean, but you're you're talking like I wrote down while you were talking. I, I just I, I kept making notes, but like buy-in. The fact that you're taking it to the streets and vetting the people that are doing this now, right? So you guys are are this think tank of we need to take what they used to do, what we used to do, find commonality between it, spin it out get feedback from the from the boots on the ground to tell us if this works, doesn't work, what they like, what they don't like, and then you guys craft a plan from there. Brother, it takes a lot of work and, and like buy-in from the people, but the people that are helping facilitate moving progress forward, as well as allowing the the firefighters to take ownership of it too, right? Hundred percent. Well, you got to bring them along for the journey. That's yeah, I love that. I love it. Yes. And like, what what is policy there for, right? Like, I'm really passionate about policy because I'm the one who's walking through the front door. Okay. If that policy is wrong and doesn't allow the incident controller to make a decision that's in my best interest or allow them to formulate strategies and tactics that keep me safe. It's a good point. Like. It's up to us to know it. Like they're they're written for a reason. It's not just written yeah, because I, you know, make it 
I agree, I agree with you, right? When you put it in that regard, I agree with you 110%. If you tell people that you follow policy, some people look at you with a slant eye and go, mm, he's one of those guys, right? Like, you know, they don't know. Policy's bullshit. But here's the thing. Policy written 50 years ago that doesn't it's represent bullshit. today's department versus what you're doing, you're writing today's policy to represent who you are. It's a very different conversation. Hundred percent, and and the other thing, just to, to finally answer your question, you asked me, our policy <laughs> yeah. and procedure is reviewed every six to twelve months. Yeah, and we send them out to our subject matter advisors, so people that we've identified in the brigade that have um, specialized knowledge in an area. So, so the teams identified someone who might know a lot about subway systems. Right. And they'll send out this. They'll send out the document to the SMA and go, "Cool, are we still doing the right thing? Are we still like, like, is this still up to date? Is this still best practice? Because you've got the vested interest. You're the one studying. What do you think? Like, give us the information. And then we've also got a process like an email inbox. And yeah. this is a lot of work. And but you have to do it because you have to have buy-in and you have to bring people along for the journey, where anyone can email in and go. Point one point three on the structure, fire strategies and tactics SOP. I think that's wrong. I think it should be this. Mm. And then if we get one of those emails, that can start a conversation around. Okay, cool. Come in. Tell us. Show us some data. Show us some figures. Show us some facts. Tell us how this is going to enhance the policy. And if it and if they can prove it, and the subject matter advisors agree, bang, that's the change. Like it's not written in stone. It's written on right. Microsoft Word. It's a live document. I can edit it tomorrow, you know? It's a live document, 100%. Yeah. I think, though, so many of us have lost track of that. I yeah. think administrations and, and chiefs and admins have lost track of that. And, and um, I think that this is an incredible conversation because you're at such a unique juncture in your department's history and, you know, and to have an administration like yours, then, that buys in and believes in that, believes yeah. in it's a working document. Like, we want to be sure that what we're, what we're telling you as policy represents the very best of what we can offer while providing the proper level of service and protection for not just the citizens, but you, the firefighter, too. Yeah. And, and the other thing that, that there's quite a lot of consultation with is the industrial body, the union. So the union has a big seat at the table to be able to help us out as well and to make sure that we're doing things not only in the community's be, right? interest, yeah, not only in the community's best interest, but in the um in the members' best interest as well. Hundred percent. Yeah. So trying to trying to tick all the boxes. It's been brilliant. Like yeah. how hard it's, is it how hard is it to find that? Was there was there a struggle early on with finding the balance between here and here and, and finding the middle. I mean, there had to be, until people could buy in and trust in the process and believe in the process. And the only way they're gonna believe is if they see it, right? So to get that buy-in, you guys had to work very hard at that. I can only imagine. So everyone's really invested in their department, right? Like if you're not, like if you're not invested in your department, you're never gonna have the best department. Someone said that once, yeah? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. The fire department you belong to is the best fire department in the world, and if it's yeah. not, fix it. 
Because it's yeah, supposed 100%. to be. Yeah. I don't know so, who the original person was that said that. <laughs> I would love to find the original quote on that. But yeah, I, I agree with it 100%. Yeah, so... So when we joined, right, there was a loss of identity from both from both departments. Yeah. And we had to acknowledge that. Sure. You had to go, yeah, cool. Like yesterday, you were the Metropolitan Fire Brigade of Melbourne. You were the Country Fire Authority. And you were really proud of that. But today, and, and we accept that, you have a big history. Like one of the senior guys, this was the element, like, like this was one of those moments where you were like, that's a senior guy that's who you should aspire to be. One of the guys I was working with had done 45 years for the Metropolitan Department at wow. number one station. Wow. That Metropolitan Department was 126 or seven years old. He was there for a third of it. He was there for a third of it. Mm -hmm. And I asked him about his thoughts on the merger and he's like, look, I'm sad to see, to see the end of the Metropolitan Fire Brigade. It is, I've been with it for a third of its life. It has been a massive part of mine that like, cause he joined when he was like 18 and he'd done 45 years. Right. But he turned around and said, I can see the value in it for the next generation. I can see how this makes things easier. I can see how this enhances not only people's working life, but their home life, their life away from this joint. Cause it gives the metropolitan people a chance to go do a tree change or a sea change. Yeah. It gives the people out in the regional centers the chance to come in like, it was a like it is actually a great opportunity to have yeah so it, and like i was like cool here's a guy who's so invested in his department and he loves his department and all that kind of stuff but he's willing to sacrifice that for the next generation yeah he's willing to get on board steer the ship and push people in that direction because he can see the value in it you want to harness that guy man we need we need a thousand of them you know what i mean that's yeah. that's awesome i mean but that's what this is about right like laying that foundation for the for the class behind us you know that generation behind us to push this job forward i just think you're in a super unique time in your career i mean with 11 years in a career service i mean you're that you're that 10 to 20 year guy that is the backbone and typically now more than ever becoming the more senior guys in the fire service now right we don't have a lot of guys that are trending over 20 years at this point right and so that 10 to 20 gap is super instrumental in the growth of our department. And like, I have this discussion with mates of my vintage quite a lot, right? Your, like, vin your vintage? Yeah, so like our, when, when we joined. So vintage, like, you know wine? Like a fine wine gets better. I get it, I got vintage. it, the vintage. Yeah. I'm gonna, I wanna use that, that's cool, it's <laughs> eloquent, man. Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll sit there and I'll talk with guys and girls of my vintage and you know, Firefighters don't like the way things are yep. or change. <laughs> right. But like, we'll sit there and, and yeah, we might get into a bit of like, a ah, uh, this person over here, they're not really upholding this. They're not doing that. And it dawned on us when we were having this conversation that, oh shit, we're the custodians now. It's up to us to call these people, but like not to call these people out, but to help them on the journey to become better firefighters and better people and better members of the brigade by saying, hey, man, you know how you did that kind of shitty thing over there or this? It wasn't kind of up to standard. So we need to improve on that. But on the flip side, we also need to praise people for doing the right thing. That's right. 
You know, you get more with positive reinforcement than negative reinforcement. Hey, man, I really loved how you operated that last job or how you engaged with that member of the community that came and knocked on our door and needed assistance. Like you did such a good job there to handle that, that problem. Like good leaders, right? Solid leaders, people that believe in their own people, right? I mean, we need positive reinforcements important. I think we got to be careful though, too. There's always a fine balance with everything. And I think even positive reinforcement, sometimes, um, you know, positive reinforcement can become, it, it, gives a false sense of entitlement sometimes too, right? Eighth place trophies and, you know, and so on. So we need to be sure that, you know, praise is there when it's necessary and worthy and not just there as lip service. Um, and then the other side of the coin, positive reinforcement, hundred percent. I agree with it hundred percent when it's warranted, but the, on the other end though, is holding people accountable for when they're not upstanding or holding the traditions, values, or, or practical, you know, knowledge in the, in the fire ground, we need to hold people accountable for their actions too. hundred um, percent. Praise, yeah. praise with humility, accountability with kindness. My God, like, are you, do you write fortune cookies? I mean, where do you come up with this shit? Give me that one again. What is it? Pride? What? So praise with humility. Praise with humility. And accountability with kindness. Now, if you talk to people who I instructed five, six years ago, I don't, I, I don't think they have any love for me. I'm the same guy. I'm exactly yeah. the same guy. I was, I was angry. I, I was bitter. I was frustrated, and I take it out on people. Hundred percent. And. It, took a journey and some good mentorship and some good leadership by people above me to kind of guide me in the direction where I am today, where it's like, Hey, let's be learner focused. Let's find out your needs. Let's, let's actually teach you instead of berate you. Let's get you operating out of confidence, not operating out of fear. And, and that's been a big change for me, but like learning that kind of stuff, like accountability with kindness. Hey man, is everything okay? Are you okay? Like, is everything at home okay? Because today, like, like I, would, I need to check in with you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, well, today, like, you did this thing and that's really out of character for you or that's not the right way of doing things, whatever it is. But you have to have that kind talk, not that you need to be... You Listen, you got to be in tune with your people. You have yeah. to You have to check yourself at the door and put your people first because the only way you fully can work with your people on a relationship that on a relationship level that matters is when you're in tune with them and you know who they are because you put your own shit at the door and focused on them. hundred percent. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So it's, yeah, look, the leadership thing is just such an interesting topic, especially as someone who's starting to emerge as like, like as that 10 to 20 year guy starting yeah. to emerge into that leadership role, whether you like it or not. Like, I well, listen, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And like, for me, I know for a fact that like what you said, I can, I can absolutely understand what you're saying. Like I was not like, I was, I was, I was called captain screamer at one point. Right. Like I was not mature enough or in a place to be able to be in that position I think I was at the time and it because I hadn't matured yet right like you talk about mentorship finding people that helped you find 
your way, your path and understand and all that. I didn't have a lot of that. I had a few people that I looked up to or what have you, but I really found a lot of this on my own. And it was because I think I needed to seek it out. I wasn't happy with who I was, or I always thought there was more. And I was always looking for more. And I through more came finding podcasts and people that were more like-minded and come to realize that, you know, you don't need to be, you know, Steve Jobs, right? He he led by intimidation and fear with his people, right? It doesn't mean you need to do that. That's not that's not everybody's style. You can you can lead with kindness. Kindness mm. can be important in, in leadership and still carry a big stick, but be kind, have empathy, yeah. right? Like there's different management styles. And I think it took me a long time. I mean, I'm 46 years old and I remember sitting in meetings at the firehouse and the younger guys would be like, you know, I can't believe you're saying this today. 10 years ago, you would have been on the other side of the corner. And I go, hundred percent. I would have, you're right. Yeah. I would have, I would have taken the harder approach, the more angry approach, the more pissed off and point the finger approach than I would today. I'm a totally different guy today because with experience comes maturity. And, you know, and, and so for me, I'm grateful that I went through all the shit I did. And I'm grateful that I probably wasn't a great leader or manager in, in early part of my career, but I do believe that I've come a very long way and I'm very proud of how I carry myself today. And, you know, your reputation takes hits when you're young and it takes a long time to repair it. And uh, you got to walk that line. And and so I, I recognized that several, several years ago. And um, I work hard at it every day. And don't get me wrong. And you, I know you're right there with me. There are days where you just want to be like, what are you doing? Like, and it's okay to have those moments. But it's also then coming back around and, and, you know, getting back into it, right? 100%. Well, and, and the most beautiful thing about what you said then was that you own it, you admit it, and you yeah. pass that message on. Have to. Own it, have admit to. it, pass it on. Like, hey, guys, don't do what I did. Don't become this guy. The job's more than just, you know, and I think it happens to young firefighters that are very focused on what we could be. Mm -hmm. They can see the potential of the department that you, you're in and you're like, oh, why isn't everyone as passionate as I am? And you're like, dude, now as the 10, 11 year guy, you turn around, you go, man, people do this job for many different reasons. <laughs> like not everyone's going to be. You are so money accurate in, in everything yourself. that I went through. Yeah. So one, one big thing that I learned too is to ring up like-minded people. And the more like-minded people you you have in your your network the easier it is to find one that's awake at the time of day that's stressing you <laughs> that, <that's> <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> i love that let's <laughs> let's just talk about that real quick while people are listening to this episode it is 4 42 in the afternoon here what time is it where you are 7 7 44 that means you woke up well, you woke up nice and early to talk with me today so, a day in the future, though. I'm in the future. It's you are the 20th, in the future. Yeah. It's yeah. the 21st of March here. Well, it's good to know that right now I'm going to wake up tomorrow. So that's good because yeah. you, you are in the future. So that's great. But yeah. I, I like what you said, though, and I, I have it written on my in my book here in notes. I wanted to ask you about it because everything we've been talking about, you mentioned that uh, symposium that you went to, I think, in England, right, with all the different people from all these different countries. 
you talk, mentioned Jerry Tracy, and he's a he's an outlet for you to communicate with who is in the states, right? Like, and you have a lot of connection here. Are are you teaching at FDIC? Yep, I am. So me and Jerry are running a workshop on the Monday. It. I love uh, it. And we're talking about the fire dynamics in tall buildings. So we're going beyond the traditional fire curve and we're going beyond the three extreme fire behaviors, smoke explosion, flashover backdraft. We're going to talk about fire phenomena that's common in tall buildings and, and maybe some solutions that departments can come up with to combat these challenges. I love so, it. So this all speaks to where I'm going with this, right? Talk to me about how important relationships are and what they've done for you in your career. I never thought it as a young guy, but relationships are the most important part of this job. This job's the people. And like, oh, it is, man. It is. Talk yeah, about yeah. that. Talk about it. I've, I've always, like, like, there's been mentors in me in my career that, that have really influenced this. Like, one of them is an SSO. He always says, you know, the job isn't the job, the people are the job. And then, like, I read a lot. I'm reading Pass It On Two at the moment. And I yeah. just came to bring it to Chief Brindisini's section. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's like, for so long in my career, I focused solely on procedure and how to combat the fire. And I ignored the person element. And then late in my career, I realized that if I embrace the person element, the rest takes care of itself because we've hired the best. Right, They're going to do the job. So I think formulating relationships early is so important. Like if you're coming on the job, you're going to be influenced directly by your senior people. And I was extremely lucky to have one of my mentors grab me early on. And this dude, when I came on, he, he joined when I was the year I was born. So he joined in 88 and um, he had more energy than most. He still has more energy than most recruits. He turns it. up to work and he's like, yeah, no, I'm so keen. Let's go do all this stuff. And, We'd be out training in the stick till like 3 a.m. in the morning because we could. And then we'd come back and we'd wake everyone up as we parked the appliance in the appliance bay. <laughs> we'd come back with a pack of donuts. Anyway, like developing those relationships is going to help increase your knowledge base. Yeah. No one, no one here is designed to have all the knowledge of the fire service. You need to have people to bounce things off and talk about and being able to call up someone and be like, hey, man, I'm having this problem or I've read this this research paper or whatever it might be on how to do something, you need mentors and people to go to to pull on their experiences and their expertise. Um, yeah, like, and it's been brilliant to be able to have that, like to meet and work with the guys that I did in the UK from all around the world. That I remember sitting there at one stage going, how the hell am I in this room? Yeah. <laughs> I have that. I literally have that conversation with myself probably once a week. Yeah. Once a week. What am I doing here? And like FDIC last year, like being able to just talk with people. And I think being Australian helped me out a lot there because I was a bit of a novelty. So, and like me. I love like, it. I, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, you know what? There might be some of that though. There's a, I have a tremendous intrigue, right? Like I want to ask you 10,000 questions just about like operations and all that too. But this is like a killer conversation but i want to i mentioned like relationships and how important they are but you take that to another level right i don't really have any friends or influence outside of today with you that come from other countries other ways of doing it right so a lot of 
the relationships I have are obviously state-based here, you know, the United States. Yeah. And so, and even with that, there's so many different variations of the American fire service and all different corners of how we operate, what it looks like, all this stuff, right? It's still very different, but I have to think you having connections all over the globe is just a unique situation that gives you insight from so many different angles that you can really capture a wide ranging audience to help you narrow in on a common message. Yeah. And like a lot of that's been done through social media. So like, for example, I'll talk about one of our mutual friends, Pip. Yeah, sure. Man. So Pip was involved in triple five fitness. I was like, I love my fitness. I love my strength and conditioning. Like yep. not only for the job, just for, yeah, my I get it. brain and, and body and all that kind of stuff. So I jumped on Triple Five Fitness and I just got to know him. And we've talked and stayed friends for 10 years online. And last year I got to meet him in person at FDIC. Yeah. And I went and stayed at his house with his I family. Like we had two mates, like I had two mates come with me from Australia. Yeah. We all went and stayed with them. And that was one of the highlights of our trip. Now that trip was there to crank on and just look at fire trucks and firehouses sure. and do all the fire stuff. But that weekend, that wasn't anything to do with fire. That was just hanging with Pip and his family. And for me, that was the big highlight because I actually got to hang out with this guy that I've been mates with. And and he's mentored me through some really rough times in my life. Sure. Pip's an amazing guy. And to be able to just sit there and 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 have a beer with him on his back porch and yeah. just talk, whatever yeah. came into my head was just that was the best night. I um I can't I can't talk enough about the importance of something like that. And I feel like so many guys don't have relationships like that in the fire service and I I just if we can do anything with our platform and the podcast if people are listening to this and you don't have a relationship like that with somebody in the fire service challenge yourself to put yourself out there and go find people like that right for you jared like you and i met through pip pip introduced us and it was like an instant connection like yeah man love the love the chat with you love to learn your story right like i like to give everyone an opportunity and i i think i firmly believe and i've been saying this more and more with the podcast like and i don't mean this in a weird way right like i could i could have on anyone I want on the podcast. Like it's, we've gotten to that point now where if I, you know, if I threw an invitation out there to, you know, literally anyone, they'd probably come on. Right. We, we've grown to a household name with that and so on. But I actually enjoy conversations with just the average guy, just like me. Right. Because we all have a story to tell and we all have experiences too. And so for me, it's more about like capturing the story of Jared Mann and like, what fuels you and who you are. And to, to me, I can't wait to share a cold one with you and give you a hug and like solidify this relationship that started today. Right. And like, this is important to me. And I challenge people. If you don't have that in your life, go seek it out because relationships do matter. And the fire service is built on that. We need people. People need people to, sur to survive and to thrive, right? We need people. So, yeah. yeah, don't don't put yourself on an island by yourself, man. You live on an island, and you haven't. Well, if if you're on a crew, 
number one thing, learn everyone's partner's names. If they have kids, learn the kids' names. Ask them what they do. Talk to them about it. Like my first thing that I like to do in the morning, I, I get up a little earlier at the station if we're not on runs and I go around, I do some of the duties and then I come into the kitchen, start making the brew, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just a little thing that I like to do so that sure. that we can connect over a coffee. Like, hey, what's on for your day today? Like, what are you doing with the kids? Oh, how is their little league team doing? How is this going on? Invest in the people, make that connection and everything else will flow from that. Everything else comes from that. Take no an interest. Yeah, no one wants yeah. to work with someone who they don't understand or, or know and I, anything. And I about. think, Jared, too, I think a big part of that and what we need to, part of the message we need to convey to people is stop focusing so much on yourself. Start focusing on other people around you. You know, I mean, we people are so wrapped up in their own shit these days that they don't stop and look around, right? And like, there are such amazing people right around you. Look for them. Put your own shit aside for a half a minute and find people that are right around you that can bring so much to the table for you. I guarantee you, if you get out of your own head and get out of your own space, those people that you find around you will make you a better person. 100%, man. Like everyone just gets in their own head and thinks about their own journey, dude. Invest in other people and and you'll be on an amazing ride. Like as you're a bit of an instructor, I'm an instructor. Like how good is it watching someone else's journey? Let me tell you something. I spoke, I spoke two weeks ago at a, at a fool's event in new England and I did the Friday night speech, by the way. Oh, you heard, did you listen to that? Yeah. Great. Loved it. I was, I was literally, when I was done giving that, I had the same adrenaline that I do at fires. Like I, my, was like torqued up. People are coming up and saying, thank you. And it was great. And you know, you really fired us up for the weekend and stuff. And I go, yeah, it's how it's supposed to be. (laughs) <laughs> like, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, there is a level of excitement that is needed. We need to do that. And for me, connecting with people there fuels me. That's my selfish need, right? But it's literally sitting there and talking with a hundred people after you talk and make mm. those relationships. I mean, I give my phone number out to everyone. I give my like anybody can contact me anytime they want. Like, I don't care, I have nothing to hide. You know, yeah. and uh, and I think that that's important, and I think that we shouldn't be scared of that. And I think it's okay to put it all out there and let people make decisions because I think people are going to make informed decisions based upon how you and who you truly are. And uh, yeah. if you got nothing to hide and you're authentic, put it out there, man. You're going to find nothing but reward. You really will. 100%. Yeah, hundred percent. And like all your challenges, you fight with other people. Like you have people with you. So whatever you're going through in life, you know, we can I we could do hours of talking, but like just talk about the mental health issue in the fire mm-hmm. service. You're carrying some baggage, man. Everybody is. Your pump chart ain't gonna help you. Knowing the buddy beside you is gonna help you. Yeah. But like actually having a connection with someone who you feel comfortable talking about your problems is gonna help you more than knowing that pump chart. The pump chart's important, don't get me wrong, but having that connection is way more important. Yeah, and it's in having connection with people that are invested in you so that you can talk about it. And yeah. that's again getting out of your own space and getting into somebody else's, you know, and 
we just have to do a better job at that. And um, I think in a, in the world in which we live today, it's easier to get wrapped up in your own stuff more than ever. Um, and I think if you think back traditionally in the generations prior, there wasn't enough to be wrapped up in your own stuff like it is today. Um, and, you know, and, and because of that, I think is why they, they gave so much to the job, you know, and they gave so much to their families and, and so on. And so you look at those older generations and it just makes sense. Right. But things evolve and with, with evolution comes change. And with change, we have to be able to respond and react to change and, and do it in a way that fairly represents who we are and, in, in our, you know, in the service we provide. Right. So wild we could talk hours and hours on that too man but um i don't even know where to begin to say thank you for joining me today like you and i could talk i think like you and i are just gonna just do yeah, it's gonna be episode, great i can't wait for you to man take a cold i could do, um, do this literally every day with you is is bs man it's just it's such a natural back and forth with you i appreciate you man what a great so- conversation Right back at you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. And like, I honestly can't wait to buy you a beer over <laughs> there at FDIC and just have a oh. yarn. And, and and anyone, anyone who listens to this, if you're at FDIC and you see me, come up, say g'day and introduce yourself because I just, I need more friends. I love having friends. I love it. I need more friends. I <laughs> Listen, I, frick, man, that's another one-liner. I, I mean, that that might be the title of this whole episode is I need more friends. That's what we want. That's what we need. I love that. Oh my god. So yeah, like um, I can't. Wait. I hope you're writing this stuff down. Do you write? Uh, kinda. Sometimes writing's hard, man. Like I don't, I don't think you need to write paragraphs. I think okay. you should do. You know, I'm going to show you right now. You should do what I do. So when I think of something, I go right to my phone. And put some notes in. Yeah, nice. I put all my notes in. Right? So this is probably, I don't know, six months worth, a year's worth of notes. And it might be a one-liner. Like, I got one here, black eye. Right? And it says, everyone needs one. Yep. Right? Holding people to the same expectations you have for yourself. I mean, car pulls up on the firehouse apron. Who goes out to talk with the public? Right. I get these ideas in my head and then I I put down a note and then I come back to them as talking points. And that's how I really put my stuff together. Um I you're subjects like you could talk about any of those lines, but yeah. I could talk about each of those lines for an hour. You know what I mean? And but I think you're I think you're the same way though. And you have had really a few insightful like really powerful one-liners today um i'm just writing this one down i need more friends yeah yeah because the message behind that super powerful super powerful jared man from down under brother i i can't thank you enough for getting up early this morning and uh and joining me man it was an absolute pleasure to have you on today Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad. Am I the first international fire radio? I think so. I think so. I think so. I I think that we might, I might have to, when we get, when we hang up here, I might have to call the attorneys, 
get him on the phone. We might have to look at changing <laughs> the name to International Fire Radio. I mean, we got a lot of work ahead of us, brother, because I you're not going anywhere. I'm gonna you need new friends, I want to be your friend. So or I you be more old, friends, Thank you. I want to be one of your friends. Man, yeah, I awesome. I really enjoyed it. And and you know, I get so much out of these episodes and podcasts and meeting new people. And a lot of the people I put on the show, I don't know. I've never met before until we do it or you know, we talk a little bit prior. Um, and some people really stand out. You, my friend, stand out. And uh, I appreciate you. You too, Colin. Thank you so I, much. I love it, man. Thank you. If people want to reach out to you since you're looking for friends, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, uh, social media or an email social address? Media, yeah. Social medias. So just Jared Man. You'll notice me because it'll be the – none of my stuff's private. There'll be fire stuff in it. Love it. I'm wear we wear those Euro helmets. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to open that. I can't believe you just brought that up. I You're did. brave. But brave I do soul. have. I do have. I do have two traditional helmets. I do have All two right. US traditional helmets, and I just went and got off Taylor's tins a tin front for it for FDIC this year. I'm not going to make cool. bring another Euro. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's fantastic. So, guys, look up Jared on social media. Uh, man just bringing great great stuff brother thank you for sharing a little bit of your story today with me man i no appreciate dollars. you thanks for having me on bro and look after yourself and i'll see you in indy hell yeah man absolutely stay right here don't hang up though don't hang up right. i just want to sign off the podcast guys thank you for tuning in for another amazing episode of the national fire radio podcast without guests like jared man we have nothing and um man what a great conversation today so do me a favor, take this conversation and take it back to the firehouse, because when you do and you talk about the job, we're making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. If you got any insights or any ideas for the podcast or something you want to tell me, positive, negative, whatever it is, email us, podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And again, thanks for tuning in and spending some time with us today. Jared Mann out of Australia, rock star, brother. You're going to see a lot more of him on this channel. I promise you that. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio.